It's the Meg John and Justin and Justin and Justin podcast. podcast. <laughs> wow, three Justins. It's Meg John. A total three, three Justins. Like we've cloned you three times. Shambles. Yeah, it was a shambles. Should we do it again? Oh, we Should can we do, do it again. Just yeah. All right. It's the Meg John and Justin <laughs> podcast. Podcast. Yay. Yeah, <laughs> that was no, that was no that better. Are we gonna? <laughs> <laughs> we need a theme tune. We've yeah. just got our banging opening every time. And listener, you don't know what it is that we're gonna do. It's yeah. just the excitement every week of oh, how are they? Okay, I'm pressing play on the Meg John and Justin podcast. Oh wait, no, how are they gonna introduce <laughs> it this week? Are they gonna? Are they gonna totally nail it? Are they gonna mess up? Uh, so, welcome, dear listener. Uh, if this is the first time you've listened to us, we are Meg, John, and Justin, obviously, <laughs> and uh, uh, we do podcasts about sex, relationships, our relationship to ourselves and the world generally. Mm-hmm. Consent is a big thing that we talk about a lot. Yeah, like uh, pretty much all the time. Th- I mean, that's going to be on the bingo card, and I don't think there's a single episode where we don't mention it. No, I'm going to say, uh, yeah. That's right. Also, we're uh, now we're doing blowjob tips at the end of every episode. Every single so one. Even if, so you got to listen to the whole end of the whole episode. Yeah, no, no scrolling through. Just, yeah, that doesn't count. No, doesn't you have count. to listen to it. All. <laughs> you have to listen to the whole episode, and we'll give you the perfect <laughs> blowjob. I got to write. I got to write these down for our bingo card. <laughs> <laughs> no, we don't write our own bingo card. Other people do that. Yeah. Okay. Right. 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 Um, and. Uh, we also have a Patreon, so every other podcast that we do is exclusive for patrons, mm-hmm. uh, and you can sign up to our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Justin and Justin from just a dollar a month. Um, if you don't have very much cash, a dollar a month um, uh, is great. If you have some cash, you can give us a bit more. There's like a sliding scale on there. If you're a billionaire, like, like feel free to you know just send it all over. That's fine. I wonder whether a billionaire, Meg John, is going to be interested in in learning about consensual relationships. Well, there's a question, isn't it? And once you have thought about it in the one area, you may have to think about it in other areas too. It might be uncomfortable oh, for you, billionaire listeners. Thing is, there's no way, no one ever got to be a billionaire by being really good at consent, did they? Seems unlikely. Seems unlikely. Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. that's pretty unlikely. Yeah. There's Any- no money in consent, is there? Can't, can't make sadly, a book out Sadly of not, no. Consent. <laughs> you certainly can't make any money writing sex advice books that are all about consent. Another anyway. one for the bingo card. <laughs> Grim- <laughs> grumpy book moment. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> right, so we're going to do... That's the intro. Yeah. I've done the intro now. So, so the, the intro <laughs> is generally, for the new listener, this is usually a sloppy part of the podcast so is the end just so you know the middle is that, tight as hell tight up. as hell through yeah. the middle right? <laughs> yeah it's very sloppy when we get to the blowjob yeah tips. definitely <laughs> that is one of the blowjob <laughs> tips <laughs> oh dear <laughs> so we're, <laughs> i'm bringing about... a little more innuendo these days i'm just trying to emphasize it may it may I've go away again to last week's yeah, episode no. and yeah we'll no, see we'll good. see so, yeah you've got sid james over here yeah mm-hmm uh, we'll, we'll we'll assign ourselves. Carry on, characters. I'm Bernard Breslau. Yeah, I'm Bernard Breslau, and you're Sid James, and mm. I'm 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 Bernard Breslau, and he always goes, "Oh, Sid." Oh yeah, uh, whenever okay. we'll Sid do that. is rude. We'll do that. So I'll yeah, do yeah, that. yeah. Probably there's nothing else about Carry On films that is at all okay, but <laughs> sadly we watched them in the seventies, so they are a part of our. Makeup. I mean, I still watch them, and I watch them just. Uh, 
just uh, like with like a nostalgia and also a hate. Yeah. Um, because it does explain a lot about why mm. Britons can only ever talk about sex in ways that are either um, like vaguely like vaguely naughty titter titter or that it just has to be funny all yeah. the time. Yeah. 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 Uh, it's so annoying. It really um, is. So we're going to talk about consensual romantic <laughs> relationships, aren't we? We are. Yes. Yes. Uh, now, um, so uh, should I do a bit of a structure? Sort of like this is what we're going to say. Yeah, let's talk about yeah. how we're going to talk. about Yeah, it. this is so how we're going to talk about it is like contextualize it a bit in the current moment. We like a bit of politics, mm-hmm. so there's going to be a bit about mm-hmm. how it relates to the pandemic, how it relates to the various mm-hmm. movements that are cropping up around now, Black Lives Matter, Me Too, etc. And mm-hmm. then we're we're going to focus here. So a lot of the focus with sort of non-consensual and abusive relationships is on the kind of what do you do when it happens. We're going to flag up mm. a few resources around that. But what we're going to focus on here is like the preventative piece. Like if we could get to a model of a kind of con- a, cu- a culture of consensual relationships, mm. what would that look like? Um, so while we're going to set it up with a bit about the stats on kind of really non-consensual um, relationships and why it's so important to talk about that, we're then going to go into like here's what here's what we'd want um, in terms of consensual relationships. And the way we're going to do that is think about sexual consent, like the kind of things we generally say mm-hmm. about um, how to make sex consensual and like make mm-hmm. the point that we need to apply that to entire relationships. And we're focusing on like romantic yep. partnerships here. A lot of it will apply mm-hmm. to other kinds of relationships and we may, we may get mm-hmm. to other kinds of relationships in a future podcast. Well, the reason why we talk, there is a reason why we're focusing on romantic relationships for this one. Like yeah. we, we apply a relationship anarchy lens to all of our work, and mm. we don't want romantic relationships to be seen as being the most important. But the way, the why we're dealing with it in this episode is that that it's part of what makes the fact that romantic relationships are seen as the top of a hierarchy and the most important relationship to have is part of why it's so difficult to have consensual relationships. Exactly. So the culture around romantic yeah. relationships makes consent harder, which is why yeah. we're talking about Yeah, like it. non-consent is um, really normalised in relation to romantic relationships, like even in kind mm-hmm. of, you know, wedding ceremonies, even in, you know, rom-coms that we talk a lot about. So it's really mm-hmm. hard for them to be consensual. And also, I guess, a lot of the stats that we're just about to talk about, about um, abuse and non-consent relate particularly to romantic relationships. So there's there's a there's a link there to to that. Yeah. So we are going to start talking uh, about abusive um, mm. relationships, and we're going to talk about some stats, and uh, we're going to talk about what's happening now. Uh, once we've so just flagging that up, mm-hmm. we're probably not going to go into any detail. No. Um, so it's like a content note. If we have talked about some detail. Uh, that we feel needs a content note. I'll go back and record a content note <laughs> yeah. uh, at the beginning, but um, we're going to try and avoid going into like specific detail and or not to do that because also it's just an extra job. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're going to so we're going to talk about um, yeah uh, abuse in 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 the in the broad sweep of it rather than yeah. details. Uh, yeah, but touching on touching on emotional and physical and sexual, but again, like just naming yeah. naming those things, but not going into the detail about them. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So at the so at the moment, it's a pretty live issue. Mm. Um, MJ, you're going to drive a lot of this as well. I shall drive. You, yes, uh, this is me driving a few um, of the videos. <laughs> prepped this haven't you for an event you're doing later so yeah yeah um, talk us through what why this is particularly i mean it's always important but why uh, domestic views 
mm. uh, things like intimate partner violence and um, other kind of related terms are uh, in the news now and why mm. we're talking about it. Yeah, well, I guess, the you know, the backdrop was definitely... Me Too movement started everybody talking about sexual assault um, and then, you know, some people started to also start talking about more emotional forms of abuse and partner abuse kind of following on from that. But then the pandemic has really um, um, increased uh, awareness around this because um, I was reading one news story where that domestic abuse has even been called the shadow pandemic because it's gone mm. up by 20% globally um, with, with lockdown, with people being stuck in with each other. Um, so I think that has really raised awareness of the degree of the problem of, of abuse mm. that's got so severe that people have had to, you know, leave their homes um, and seek support. Um, and and mm. I suspect, you know, lower level that loads of people stuck in together have it's it's Mm -hmm. shown them the the bits of their relationship that don't work very well or that where where um non-consensual stuff is happening um Mm -hmm. so that's like the one the one thing is that the pandemic has highlighted it on a personal level and on a political (laughs) level um but i think the other thing is you know black lives matter has been highlighting just how the criminal justice system doesn't serve many communities um, and so that leads us into this question of like, how can we deal with things differently? And one thing that gets said back to this idea of dismantling to the police and dismantling the criminal justice system is, you know, what about things like domestic violence? What about sexual assault? And the answer is that the criminal justice system is really bad on all those things. You know, like there's very low rates of reporting because it's so bad. Most survivors get re-traumatised by their experience um, and there's very little conviction rate anyway. Um, so, um, and, of, and of course, if you're from a marginalised community, that whole process is, is really dangerous to engage in. So there's a, a lot of the really good work on transformative justice and other forms of justice that don't involve the criminal justice system come from those kind of communities. Um, so I'll put a link in the show notes to the Barnard Centre for Research on Women, I think mm-hmm. it is, has some really great vids around accountability and transformative justice. Um, and mm-hmm. there's also the book, The Revolution Starts at Home, which is, you know, again, from years ago, people starting to engage with like, if we can't engage criminal justice system with this stuff, then how can we do, how can we do our relationships and our communities differently such that um, we notice non-consent and abuse when it's happening mm. and we do something about it on the community level. So again, while we're mm-hmm. not really focusing on like what do you do when there's a problem in this podcast we'll sort of circle back round to that at the end and I think a big part of it is like you know how can we see our relationships as embedded in community rather than as these atomized, you know private spaces mm. um, where nobody can see what's happening when things do go wrong mm-hmm. yeah I actually lost you for a couple of seconds when you were you you were introducing Black Lives Matter stuff so I don't know whether you said this my mm. internet went down um but uh, I guess the context for that is that where there is um, like domestic abuse going on, so abuse and violence within a home, mm. um, a lot of people's first thought is to call the police on what's happening with their neighbour, and obviously that makes, yeah. that is very that is a very dangerous thing to do, uh, certainly in America, but also maybe um, here as well. Is that that's um, but when that is when the only recourse is to call the police, and the police show up, and there might be very violent or Mm. act in a way which is just um uh, act in a way which is completely over the top or even um assault the wrong person um or arrest or Mm. 
address the wrong person, then it's just it's going to it, it's a tinder box and it's going to uh, you know it's it's going to create more and more violence basically. Yeah. Um, so a, bit, a great part police. of that conversation that's happening about abolition of the police is like you know yeah how can we fund other ways of addressing you know things like domestic abuse which it shouldn't be in the police's mm. remit in the first place and they are really ill prepared to be dealing with it but there are people who are really well prepared it's just that they need to be resourced um much better right yeah yeah and also and but i guess this i've i've not i haven't read any of the i haven't read this uh this community transformative justice model that you're talking about but mm. the importance of this is that um is that uh we we need to find okay, we need to find other ways in the community, but also in terms of our our circles of people as well. Don't we? As as I've talked yeah. about in previous episodes, you know, we kind of whenever uh, that um, whenever people get together in romantic relationships, the people around them, the friends and the people around them, kind of really support that and uplift that, and it almost traps them yeah. in that kind of in that position rather than everyone being more watchful and everyone and and everyone still being able to to be honest and open with each other about what's going on in those relationships so there's that mm. community level in terms of like your geographic community and how we how we have that kind of response but also there's the other sponsor which might not be geographically uh linked but you know what do we do with our friends around us and how can we make sure that our our people are, are in safe relationships and how can we create spaces where people can talk about Exactly, that. and um, I think what we'll come on to talk about in a moment about this sort of sense that there's abusive relationships and then all other relationships are great and almost mm-hmm. that your job as a friend is to shore up the story that your friends are in really good relationships um, and, you know, not go to that sort of difficult stuff is that's a real problem. Um, and again, yeah, I guess what's coming out of the these community kind of transformative justice models is that you know what what's it like to embed relationships in a community mm. and we can all be thinking about like what is our community of support um around us and our relationships um so that yeah, yeah so that we have that sense rather than the isolated unit um which is mm-hmm. a real real part of the danger that sense of the isolated unit and again it's you know mm. it comes from <laughs> bingo card capitalism you know it comes from this model of kind of the real nuclear family as the as the place where you know relationships proper relationships happen and where kids are brought up and that you know nothing should nothing should kind of invade that space like that's this private secret space um where it's assumed that everything will be fine well i guess that goes on to what you were going to say doesn't it nicely about you know where well, pe- yeah. people being at risk in the home yeah yeah i just thought i'd throw mm-hmm. that here just to demonstrate how um how this idea again we talked about this on a previous episode but the idea of there being safe a safe space and a place where things do happen and where don't happen actually we probably are already aware dear uh, gentle listener that sexual violence um is more likely to happen with someone that that we know yeah so um just that from the natsal 3 report which is the biggest um uh, sociological study into sexual attitudes and lifestyles in the UK. Uh, the last one came out in 2011. There's a new one coming out um, soon, hopefully. Well, mm-hmm. We're doing the research, starting the research next year. Um, so one in five women have had someone who tried to have sex with them against their will. One in 10 women have had someone who have had sex with them against their will. One in 20 men have experienced someone trying to have sex with someone against their will. And one in 71 have had, se- have had someone mm. have sex with someone against their will. And in most cases uh, of this, the perpetrator was known to the participant um, and most commonly as a current or former intimate partner. 
So 40% of women who have had sex against their will, that was a current or former intimate partner, and 22.9% of uh, men. So, and there are links between sexual violence and other kinds of violence too. I'm just, I'm just yeah. pulling out sexual violence because that's what the study looked at. But if we think about that, that's a really big number, right? Yeah. That's a really, really large number of just sexual violence. Mm. And uh, they... Well, I'll explain the wording of why we talked about sex against their will rather than uh, rape and sexual assault because that's really relevant to what we're talking about. But um, because the, uh, because uh, there is uh, underreporting, but I'll talk about we'll talk about that in a bit. But first of all, before we get onto the idea of a spectrum, just know that it's big. It's a big issue. Mm. So that a lot of the people in our in our communities, both geographical, you know, our networks, our systems. Mm. will have experienced this that won't have told us about it and yeah. might have, might not ever tell us about it. Yeah. Um, and so what can we do, I, I, I think for later, is what can we do to just be honest about this and to, and to mm. listen to people and to give opportunities for, for, for people to feel safe enough to tell us that people will feel listened to and heard and... Yeah. And that, they're, and that they're being, so they're, the violence uh, committed against them and their survivor status is... Uh, is made visible you know that's um it's mm. a real it's a big it's a big deal and again i think that if non-consent in other aspects of relationships is so normalized then it becomes possible you know if, if you're very used to being touched against your will or not having people mm. check that out then it's much more easy for you know as we know well, we know this with kids in families where there's child sex abuse but we also know this with adults it's like it's much harder to tell when those lines have been crossed sexually if mm-hmm. other boundaries if other boundaries like space and touch are constantly being um yeah or, or, or other kind of pressures are being applied so it's useful to think about the physical the sexual and the emotional all together um mm-hmm. and yeah at a spot where you know emotional non-consent might be happening um because that that's a danger flag for the kinds of non-consent happening perhaps at a later date mm. and that's a big one that just reminded me of uh that sexual assault and sexual abuse is really common with uh people with disabilities yeah um that there is that thing of um that someone where where part of part of the the disability is that the social disability is that we see people with disabilities or impairments as being as having less agency mm-hmm. and less less ability to make decisions for themselves, less able to go about their lives, and so their agency is constantly being com- is constantly being compressed by the people around them, and that involves touch and doing things for them, and sometimes that is consensual, but often it's not, and mm. then often that bleeds into other kinds of non-consent that yeah. um, are definitely not okay. Which is um, why, yeah, it's so, so important yeah. to have these, like, consent conversations, yeah, across those kind of relationships. Well, we'll talk about power imbalances later, I guess, but, yeah, definitely yeah. in terms of kids, disabled people, um, older people, you know, that's why we see those abuses of power being enacted in those spaces because, you know, if, if those if those groups don't have that agency and aren't able to hold bound you know, aren't allowed to have boundaries, um, and non consensual mm. behaviour is, you know, really common, then again it's easier to stray over those lines. So that's why it's like really good to be on it around consent in the wider relationship mm. rather than like just have that focus on sexual consent, which is where a lot of the consent conversation tends to happen. Um, but yeah. yeah, I always think it like we should be having a much bigger conversation because if we can't, if we're not practicing consent in other areas, we're, you know, it's much easier to get it wrong around touch or physical stuff and around sexual stuff. I mean, that's mm. the depressing thing that we'll probably talk about. And again, mm. it's a phrase that we use is that, you know, often, 
you know, where we have, a, I think as a culture, we have a greater awareness of sexual consent than we do for any other kinds of consent. And look how bad we are at sexual consent. Mm, yeah. So imagine how bad we must be at every other kind of, at, at everything else where consent is really necessary and important. Yeah, precisely. Should we get talking into, you, you wanted to talk about um, spectrums. I think this is a good point. To, yeah. Well, we always bit, want to talk about spectrums, but this is the point here, isn't it, to talk about it? Well, it, it reminds me of a bit of discomfort I had when I wrote Rewriting the Rules like some years back mm. and, and when I did the second edition. So I've got a chapter in now on conflict and it was like, mm. ooh, what about abuse? You know, and I was kind of like, I think in the first one I just had a kind of like footnote said you know but if your relationship's abusive like here's some resources mm. you know as if it's like conflict is for everybody and then there's this tiny mm. minority of people where it's abusive and it's a whole different thing and go over here and mm. now i'm like no that's a, it's a spectrum you know and mm. like it's about the degree of power and balance that's there and it's about whether there's a, um, a you know kind of non-consensual stuff is happening in relation to conflict but it's yeah it's mm. not like this simple thing where we can separate out here's conflict that happens mm. in normal relationships and here's normal relationships and then here's this like little minority that's that's abusive or non-consensual it's like no most relationships have non-consent in them um mm. and you know for, for all kinds of reasons and most of us are gonna treat people non-consensually sometimes and are going to be treated mm. non-consensually sometimes so it's about like mm -hmm. how do we really get aware of that so that we can notice mm. you know how it feels in our body that queasiness when we've done something that's not quite consensual and also how can we notice start to notice when someone's done that to us like what does that feel like in our bodies and then how can mm. we learn a whole set of practices and tools for how to deal with those moments effectively the micro moments of non-consent which are mm. going to be in all those relationships such that you know we can we can get them at that level so that it doesn't become this thing that's just really normalized and happening um in the relationship that majority mm. good, minority abusive idea is so mm. harmful as yeah. well because it just it means that you can draw a line and look at those people over there, you can other them, other them and yeah. say, well, these are the bad people and these are the bad relationships where that happens yeah. and that's not happening here, completely absolving you of any idea of, of yeah. ongoing consent for you. So one of the things I really, really hate about the uh, teen consent video, which is, I won't go into that because yeah. that's a very long... Um, no, I'm not going to rant about that. Sure, we've done but that rant before. The, but, but, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've written a blog about it. It's yeah, fine. but the um, but that idea of that that happens over there means that um, mm. is is uh, it is bad politics uh, as well because it is like um, it's completely it's it's suggesting that um, that uh, there is like. That there is no commonality between these others' experience and your own experience. Mm. And othering other people is a very bad thing to do anyway. It's a very mm -hmm. dangerous thing to do. Yeah. Um, but also, yeah, then it means that you're just not paying attention to yourself and you're making this assumption that you're good and they're badness. Well, we see this, I mean, again, to bring in the politics, it's like we, of, of recent times, we see this, um, the way stranger danger is being deployed. You know, stranger danger... Mm from a feminist perspective has always been this really dangerous myth you know this idea that you know women and children aren't safe out on the streets they should be kept in the home mm -hmm. because stranger perpetrators are out there we had the paedophile panic mm -hmm. in the 1990s that was kind of like this mm -hmm. and it's like you know all those stats you said like the place where women and children are at most risk mm -hmm. is in the home and also mm -hmm. the way the stranger danger gets deployed against minorities you know which we see mm -hmm. with black lives matter it's like you know black men as this dangerous sexual perpetrator against white mm -hmm. women get 
gets deployed all the time and we see it and in the history tra- of that is yeah yeah really fucking scary yeah. and then we see it you know in the trans moral panic as well this whole idea of trans women as potential perpetrators when that is vanishingly mm. rare um and, yeah. the, and the idea of you know cis men pretending to be women as you know this just doesn't happen and it's all like you know public toilets is this dangerous space and changing rooms is this dangerous space um for cis women and for children and it's like no that the places where those groups are the most at risk is in the home from people they know um and that's where we should be focusing a lot of attention you know a lot of our attention should be going on how do we make home spaces and everyday relationships a hell of a lot safer for everybody involved um rather than like yeah focusing on these private uh, these um public spaces rather yeah well that's a really interesting thing because actually that is like the door that says um that is the the door or the the boundary which says out there is danger in here is Mm. safety there is that binary yeah and actually uh, I mean, it would be it would be more accurate to say in here is danger, out yeah. there is safety. But even then, that would be an unhelpful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we what want to look everywhere. To, to think? Yeah, but yeah, uh, but exactly. also again, like actually, it relates because you know, again, if we go to kids and how they're being treated in the home and at school, you know, big a part of the reason that they're not going to notice when when a stranger steps over a line is because they're really loose to their lines being overstepped by their friends, by their peers, by their teachers, by their parents in all these kind of ways. You know, Mm. making it all consensual, make it much easier for them to know, Mm. okay, that wasn't okay. Um, or, or to you know, to get to safety when something starts to feel dangerous. You know, we actually, t- mm. we're actually treating kids not to know when something's dangerous because they're so used to having their boundaries overstepped, which is a whole mm. different rant. But it's re- it's relevant and related. <laughs> when I guess the reason why we find it hard in adult relationships to understand when it's feeling non-consensual is again because we're so used to it from our upbringings and from the non-consensual world around us that it's very hard to see when that has happened. Yeah. I guess this is an interesting kind of um, that the coronavirus has shed light on this has kind of has blurred the inside outside uh, and the safety inside unsafe outside kind of distinction a little bit because there mm. has been this conversation about well if you need to get out then yeah. we can you there are specific legal um, exclusions for people who need to get out so there is this Great. people do understand that this is really really important and yeah. actually that um that uh it, it that being inside is in a safe space so at least there is a, rec- a recognition mm. of that and hopefully again this is one of the we don't like coronavirus we think it's bad boo to <laughs> yeah. coronavirus yeah. particularly how poorly it's been handled but hopefully if that's something we can hold on to like yeah. to remember that this was happening before coronavirus it's going to happen after coronavirus yeah and um, just like we have the mutual it. aid around you know how to help people who are sick mm. you know what about again mutual aid and collective models of how to help when it feels like there's some red flags about what's happening in somebody's relationship or somebody's family you know instead of that mm. being like we mustn't go there um mm. you know and and this is not about like fear-mongering everyone into thinking oh you know is my relationship abusive am i one of those bad guys it's much more about normalizing like all of us mm. are carrying some degree of trauma historically Historical, mm-hmm. intergenerational, etc. We're all going to sometimes be reactive, especially when we're locked in with other people um, a lot of the time. Um, and so, you know, how can we recognise 
our reactivity and how that might mm. operate in non-consensual ways and how can we address that in our relationships how can all of us be doing that work and getting support mm. to do that work right um because you know the more we can do that the more able we are to be part of these um communities of care around relationships of all kinds well i think this is where like coming into a more affirmative model of consent is a really important way of looking at it because that allows us to look into a spectrum like we often mm-hmm. talk about how can we bring more consent in how can we how can we increase and if we look at consent as being about increasing everyone's agency like increasing mm-hmm. increasing everyone's freedom and ability to cho- to agree to choose and to choose to agree that's what consent is and I think there are limitless amounts of that and some mm-hmm. and limitless amounts of that at all levels that we that we could have there shouldn't be the only boundary on someone's agency is if it crosses over with someone else's agency so and then it's at those points that we need to be uh, talking to each other about how we you about how we make decisions that are going to you know that you know how we make consensual interactions or a consensual choice that are better for both of us even if we're not getting entirely what we want but yeah um, but to look at this in this affirmative model rather than so to bring in more consent rather than avoiding doing anyone any harm mm. is much is uh, brings in abundance and that's yeah. the thing that we think is really really important in relationships how can we have more of something but also it's important to realize that not all of the consensual things that the non-consensual things that we may do in a relationship are necessarily like going to cause a harm or going to have any kind of uh, like culpability there is a a general harm in doing things that are non-consensual but it Mm. might be quite it might be quite minor things but the important thing is to think about how to do everything more consensually just because creating a culture and creating um an environment where more consent, where where we're aiming for this consensual culture is just better and more affirmative. Does that make sense? I think so, yeah. Avoiding a harm, it's like bringing in more and, you know, more broadly, I think that we're also bringing in more capacity to love if we're doing that. Definitely. And part of that is, like, I think, again, if we're naming the micro moments and just being able to have those moments and repair them, you know, like when that happened for me with, with the pandemic was being around at a friend's when some really hard stuff had happened the previous week and we had a moment where we had a slight touch that felt consensual for both of us and then because Mm. we'd had that I was like oh god I could actually get a hug here I could really use it and it felt Mm. like a kind of it was being offered but we returned to it the following week and it was like my friend said yeah they would have they would have struggled to say no to that hug request because I was so upset and you know we were able to talk about how do we navigate that in future Mm. um and that's like you know in that relationship we have a lot of those moments where we're just able to go there and it never Mm. feel i never get put in that shame place by it because it's just like this is what we do we talk about those micro moments where we didn't feel that much agency or we did feel a bit of pressure and i think there's a real Mm -hmm. there's a that gives a real sense of safety that we can continue to do that and the spectrum Mm -hmm. idea really helps that and the idea that we're all carrying trauma and reactivity really helps that because otherwise you've got this sense of like there's the there's the bogeyman you know there's the 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 Mm. person who's you know non-consensual and abuser needs to be called out and cancelled 
or there's being a perfect good guy and there's just nothing mm. in between and that is such mm. a dangerous binary because um, everyone's trying to yeah. claim that they're safe they're entirely safe and entirely good and of course we can't be in the non-consensual culture you know just as we can't be you know completely non-racist in a racist culture and we can't be you know completely um, eradicate our internalised transphobia or whorephobia or fatphobia it's like you know we yeah. just yeah the spectrum idea is just so much more helpful with that I think yeah yeah definitely so well where should we go to next so um yeah so i guess oh we we were gonna say a bit about the normalizing of non like i guess we've said this a bunch on the podcast but how Mm. how the ideals of romantic relationships that we have in wider culture make this stuff even harder yeah 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 so you know like the we so the cultural script for doing romantic relationships is incredibly powerful yeah. uh, the thing is it's constantly changing and not everyone agrees on it but everyone knows that there's a script and everyone knows that it should go in a certain way so mm. it should always escalate things should always get more intimate and more close um it it's meant to involve sex mm. um it's me- if it's a man and a woman the man's meant to be active and man's and taking the lead and driving certain things forward and women's men meant to be interested in sex and women are meant to be interested in love you know all of this is bollocks yes you know we hate it but we can't we, but we we critique it yet also live with inside it because we yeah. can't escape it and and so but much the, yes okay but the and the idea also that we're meant to be having these relationships uh in capitalism there is a capitalist kind of um uh like uh reason to do this you know it's cheaper to live with someone you get tax breaks for being married living with someone and then and then that is your that's your unit then yeah you know that your romantic relationship is your unit and you can have children but essentially you and the other you know become this one Mm. and in your one unit then you you work you become a hard-working family Mm -hmm. Um, and a household uh, yeah in a household, an incredibly expensive household, <laughs> and you have to travel many hours for work, and then mm. you get home and you're knackered and you can't do the things that are meant to. Anyway, sorry. but yeah, and but, like um, and like rom coms as well. Like so much of what is seen as romantic behaviour is non consensual behaviour. You know, to try to get someone to stay if they want to leave. Um, you know, to yeah. try and keep to try and get somebody in the first place. Um, like yeah, all, all the kind of stalkerish kind of behaviour that's like the classic rewarded film in, here is Love yeah. Actually, isn't it? Yeah. It's like one of the most popular films about love ever. Um, by and we've all read the hot, we've all read the take about how terrible that film mm. is. Um, but so much in there is stalkery, is um, non-consensual. It is someone making someone do yeah. something. Yeah, and our bodies have literally uh, been trained to find that romantic and pleasurable when we see it. Like, it's really hard not to have those responses, mm. you know. Um, and then I think, you know, also marriage ceremonies, you know, a lot of what's said about, you know, yeah. with, with my body, I worship you, you know, to, mm. um, in sickness Love and in health, day. you know, till death yeah. does part. It's like none of that makes it easy to have an ongoing consensual relationship if we no. kind of bought into those notions um so they don't really allow for people to change or for people to get out of things if they've got bad yeah that's right it's the idea that it's very fixed as well isn't it and mm. the, the 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 thing that you have to do is to say i love you or i do and then boom that's it you're done yeah uh, that's your relationship now that's what you have to do now and there's that's that sense of you do one bit you just 
you tell them what your feelings are, or you'll say that you're going to be in a relationship, and the, the saying is the doing, and it's not mm. the doing is the doing. Doing is the, the saying. Doing. Yeah. The saying is is nothing. What is saying it? It's mm. just like it's a moment. It's a micro moment where you where you have you know you have all the brain chemicals that make you feel nice for a moment when someone says I love you and you say I love you back. It feels wonderful, but it's nothing. It's mm. it's, it's flim flam. It's bollocks. It's completely. It's a moment that's gone, but then yeah. that memory of having said that traps you into this non-consensual dynamic. Often, you know, yeah. I hate it. Yeah, um, I hate if no it one too. ever said I love, if no one ever said I love you, Justin, to me ever again, I wouldn't care as long as they were doing loving things with and for me. Yeah, right. Yeah. Love is what we do, not what we say. We've talked about this a lot, but well, absolutely, is, is but it's so important. This yeah. Fixed, yeah, this kind of I'm going to use the term mindset, but I've, by which is term by Barbara, no, Carol Dweck, which has had a lot of criticism because it's neoliberal as fuck in the way it's been interpolated. But I think it's really interesting that mm. there are fixed mindsets and other growth mindsets. And the idea and what we have for romantic mm. relationships is fixed mindset. You do it, you say it, and you're fixed, and that's yeah. it. It doesn't change. Yeah. But we need to be much more growth mindset about it. That every day, every moment of every day, every micro moment of every day, noticing what's going on, being present, and and. Mm. and constantly making it a being making consent an ongoing thing exactly and so we're not talking about a legalistic i can undivide uh, idea of consent here of a, like a, a consent contract or a one-off it's much more like um consent as this ongoing process and you know it encapsulating freedom and safety like does every is everyone here free enough and safe enough and that being this ongoing we question actually... that we're, uh, we're trying to make our behavior enable that person to be as free and as safe as they can possibly be and they're trying to do the yeah. same for us and our hopefully our community of support around that relationship is trying to do the same and like if that's not all happening then it's so easy for it to fall into non-consent 100 percent mm. uh bingo card but also um i think that there's just while we talk about the legal thing I yeah want yeah to quickly go back because um We've not talked about it yet, but mm. the having a very legalist. Obviously, it's helpful to have some criminal laws where we can say these things are criminal behaviours, criminal laws that, sh mm. that um, to demonstrate that. I guess what does the criminal law do? That it's the culture saying that these things are wrong and that, that they are punishable. Whether the criminal justice system works to make to is, is another question. But the law mm. says that certain things are. Um, the law says that certain things are wrong. Yeah. Uh, I should be able to say more about this because I've got a law degree. <laughs> it was a long time ago. <laughs> um, but there are so, uh, but it takes us away from the spectrum idea. So when I was talking earlier for, about NatSal three and non-volitional sex, in that uh, they, whenever I put that on Twitter, people say, "Well, when you say non-volitional sex, don't you mean rape or sexual assault? Aren't you undermining?" It? And I'm like, mm. "No," because if you ask people if they've been raped or sexually assaulted that it's much less likely that they'll say yes because they don't want to think of themselves as being a survivor of rape or sexual assault. Yeah. But if you ask someone, have you ever had sex against your will, which is the same thing, it's still sexual violence, but mm. it's just not this legalistic framing, they're much more likely to report it. Yeah. Because there is this idea that there are only some kinds of, um, very this narrow legalistic kind of way of framing sexual violence or anything non-consensual um, means that we see it less. Yeah. So, and this is the thing, and this is why the spectrum idea is so important because whether it's against the law or not, it's really important to be um, to be affirmative and not just to avoiding that, but just bringing more consent in and having that kind of approach rather than avoiding 
committing rape or sexual assault, which is mm. just, which is where we are with so much consent education, which is not good enough. I mean, it's just a very small part of a much broader picture. Yeah. That, well, that, this is similar, and this is a similar round of emotional non-consent as well. I think you know, in a sense, it has been helpful that government has brought in an idea of coercive controlling relationships, mm-hmm. you know, as a problem. But the legal framing is like, you know, here's all this checklist of behaviours, and again, all yeah. of those could be more usefully seen as a spectrum. You know, I'm just looking at the list yeah. now, and it's kind of like isolating people from friends and family, monitoring their time mm-hmm. and their behaviour, um, taking their finances. Um, this kind of stuff and of course you know those those things all fall on a spectrum it's like obviously if some you know that makes it really clear like if someone says you can't see your friends or family or if somebody actually takes your money or if somebody actually you know scrutinizing your time you know in this obvious way but those things happen in less obvious ways in a lot of relationships so Mm. the legalistic framing you know is perhaps less helpful than this kind of you know let's look at all relationships in this way it reminds me of that nice little graphic you have on bish justin where you're like let's let's oh. look at your relationship on these different you know it's like the the wheel what do you call that oh the relationship yeah graph. and they're we all have that on a- in our that's also available in our relationship user guide yeah for two pounds fifty at our website but it's spectrum isn't it it's like how is this on trust how is this on safety how is this on freedom you know and that's what we could do for that you know we could almost take those points of coercive control like how is this on money Mm -hmm. money how is this on space how is this on solitude and like you know find our place on all of those again rather Mm. than this kind of that really doesn't help survivors that all or nothing because you just end up doing this thing in your head of like was it bad enough was it bad enough was it bad enough like is it this or is it that is it this or is it that that's just so unhelpful just much more helpful to have the spectrum idea you don't even need to locate yourself on the spectrum you just need to know that if it doesn't feel consensual it's okay to get out you know whether that's sexual whether that's physical whether that's emotional or a combo of the three and it encourages mm. you to compare your insides to outsides as well, doesn't it? It encourages mm. you to step out of yourself and monitor yourself. And yeah. in that way, you can gaslight yourself in that way. So if you, so if we're looking mm. to the criminal law to see whether something is okay or not, which, yeah. Yeah, it might be useful, but we're saying it also might not be useful. Um, then uh, if we compare ourselves to that, then we go like, well, it's not that bad. Yeah. And so, and then, and then we kind of convince ourselves that it's all okay. And um, because this gas- rather than yeah. owning our own experience. And because and this- also, we're just yeah. not. <laughs> that was just we got so much to say. No, yeah, because this because this gaslighting thing is so commonly used against survivors. Like that is literally the cultural yeah. rape myth, right? Is that you know if you're a survivor, what you're going to get is you're going to get minimising. You know, it wasn't that bad. The impact wasn't that bad on you. It's going to be denial. It didn't really happen, or it didn't really count. Mm-hmm. It's going to be victim blame, like you did something to bring this on yourself, mm-hmm. and it's going to be defensiveness, like it wasn't my fault um, from the perpetrator mm-hmm. or from bystanders or people who didn't intervene like that is the go-to you know that is the cultural gaslighting around all of this so you're going to do that to yourself you know that's that's kind of embedded in us all to kind of respond to ourselves in that way as well and again if we move from this model to a model of like here's what a consensual relationship looks like then we mm-hmm. can kind of go through each of those points and how is it shaping up how am i doing on this how are they doing on this how are we doing on this and are we getting support to to do this more and more right 
we will get to what a consensual relationship looks <laughs> yeah. like, but I've just got another quick thing to say go, about this. Go, 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 go. Yeah. <laughs> um, when we have this all or nothing approach, again, that puts in a boundary of like, okay, so this is these are the legalistic, so this is legally what um, non-consent looks like, right? So yeah. these, so, but uh, perpetrators can use that. So perpetrators, as we've seen yeah. with Me Too, um, in ways that they are insidiously using their power to put people in positions where they feel they can't say no or they feel that their entire career is dependent on it. Yeah. Are committing, they're still committing um, acts which are um, criminal, like yeah. under, the, you know, the, under the criminal law, are, are, uh, the criminal law says are not okay and there are offences. But they're using this, uh, they're using that, uh, getting as close to the line as they possibly can and dallying around that line and creating mm. like a deliberate gray area mm. in, in, in a place where they can have plausible deniability towards the, towards the, um, the uh, as, a, as a perpetrator. Mm. And they can say, well, no, because you know, you consented to, you consented to come to my apartment and have a, and share a bottle of wine with me. Yeah. So you kind of knew what, what was happening. You knew about my reputation and it's that, yeah. So people know where the, and I got this from a really great mm. show which is on at the moment, which I'm, which is on BBC called "I May Destroy You." It's also mm. on HBO in America. It's, um, it is an incredibly difficult show to watch, and if you're a survivor of um, any kind of abuse, but particularly a sexual, sexual assault uh, or rape, uh, just. Uh, have a huge content note for that because mm. every episode has something and it's hard it's a really hard watch thank you um, yeah I'm not a survivor I find it really hard to watch I am um, and I will be approaching but, it with caution yeah <laughs> yeah but mm. it's it's really good show yeah. um, and um, it goes into it but the, but this was that whole idea of people perpetrators knowing the line and deliberately blurring it to make use of it for themselves to stay, to stay on what they think is the right side of the line yeah means that the line is bad like yeah. we, that we have to, that we can't just look at this no. what's consensual what's non-consensual yeah so it has to be the whole looking at the whole piece of how we make it more consensual and then if we're all living in a culture where in any kind of relationship we know that it feels good if we can see consent happening if we feel consent happening yeah then it's easier to spot but also easier to do and we then also mm. sorry final rant is that if we are like you know harvey weinstein type figure someone who is very powerful mm. then rather than using your power in that way to manipulate other people into doing what it is that you want to do or to assault them or to further enhance increase your power mm. you can look at your power and privilege and privilege and think about okay well how can I use this to invite other people to do things with me? How can I recognise yeah. this power imbalance that we're going to get to, and how and how can we both benefit from this? Like how, so, being able to be, being able to use our privilege, use our agency to help mm. other people to have more agency and more consent and more freedom, and that's the that's the model we all need to be at. Exactly, and it can be a really joyful thing. Like if we again, if we have this yeah. starting point, this is why I really want to, you know, have this conversation with the people in my life. Always, it's like because if we have this starting point of like we want to make this as consensual as possible, we want to be as good as possible for each other mm. in this relationship. Like we want, yeah, like this mutual kind of 
um, you know, opening up the options for the other person. We want what's best for the other person and we want them to want what's best for us. We don't want to be about constraining somebody or making them feel unsafe or, you know, constraining their freedom in any way. And then what does that look like? And then how can we keep checking in about whether that's happening or not? It can be this much more like a movement towards towards joy rather than this kind of like scary, we're trying to avoid this this bad thing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's not a pain in the arse either. That's the other no. thing I think that people think about consent. That people think it's way too much work. This is relating. Like yeah. consent is relating. It is love. It is lust. It is care. Yeah. It is kindness. That's what that's what this is. Well, when you it's know like when really, we talk, yeah. when we frame it as sex, you know that consent isn't sexy. Consent is sex. Yeah. Sex is consent. And if you're not doing it consensually it's not sex and it's not love i guess is, that's the, that's yeah, yeah. Take, taking it to romantic relationships like if it's not consensual it isn't love you know and that's the real problem mm-hmm. of using this word love so broadly to apply you know in a way to all these things but yeah like I, what what feels like love to me is if i can if i can find out from that person what loving them well looks like and if i have mm-hmm. that to offer and i can do that you know that is that's mm-hmm. really loving if there's un- if there's unclarity about what loving someone well looks like then i'm in this dodgy territory where i'm like am i am i loving you well or is this you know actually straying over lines it's not what you want um and similarly you know if like you know somebody's loving me how they want to be loved for example or if somebody's kind of mm. loving loving at me as you call it you know then again that's not yeah that's not it's not consensual and therefore but- it's not love yeah but also that mm. interchange of like the conversation about yeah. that as well, like figuring it out rather than it, mm. it's not that we guess what's happening for the other person yeah. um, or be the ideal person for another person, you know, turning ourselves into an object to yeah. someone else su- for someone, uh, another subject to objectify us. But that treating each other as, um, as humans with agency and needs and trying to figure out where you can overlap yeah. is is the work it is the consent it is the love that's mm. that, is, that is the piece totally so so yeah we're going to go through this list which is kind of our go-to sort of points about sexual consent and we're just going to do for each mm-hmm. of them like oh how does this reply to romantic relationships mm-hmm. um and i guess we've touched on a few of these points more broadly already so the first one on the list is like making consent the aim rather than getting what mm-hmm. you want from the person or being what they want and this is this real kind of existential piece that we're always trying to either objectify another person to get what we want from them or turn ourselves mm-hmm. into an object because it can feel really good to make ourselves the object. And that kind of broadly fits onto those trauma patterns of fight and fawn as well. Like, mm-hmm. you know, whatever trauma we've got in our life, you know, we with other people, we quite often tend towards either fight, which is trying to control people, get what we want from them in order to feel safe enough because we've been traumatized in the past or we tend towards fawn which is trying to make ourselves into something good enough that we won't get hurt by other people so that people pleasing which is definitely my Mm. go-to um and it's like yeah like trying to have the courage and the support to step outside of those modes and really be ourselves in relationship um and make make a consensual relationship both for ourselves and the other person the aim you know, mm. and say, you know, that it would be better to have a very small relationship with this person if that was mm-hmm. all we could manage in terms of being consensual than to have some big relationship with this person that would inevitably be non-consensual for one or both of us, right? Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes the consensual thing is not to be in a relationship with them yeah. or to completely die. In fact, I've probably talked about this before, but one of the one of the best relationships I ever had was three weeks long when we realised mm. that... Um, 
And we both were very clear with each other that I really don't want kids and she really didn't want polyamory. And I'm like, okay, well, yeah. you know, this is sad, but this is great. And now I do polyamory and she's got a kid. And it's like, yeah. we're both living our best lives and we're Facebook friends. It's lovely. Yeah. But, the, but consent was the aim there. Not one of us trying to make the other person yeah. you know, monogamish in, for, in order for an agreement for the other person maybe to perhaps commit mm. to maybe in two years, maybe having kids. I'm like, yeah. that's not consent. Yeah. You, you can't start from that place. So, so if consent is the aim, that means um, either you make it smaller or you don't. Yeah. You just don't. And you have this ongoing conversation about kind of what people's real desires and projects and passions are and how can this relationship best serve those and, and yeah, like um checking out. And I think if you know if you know that you do have that strong tendency to either the fight or fawn response in relationships, then doing mm. doing your work around it so that you can really be confident you aren't gonna be trying to control somebody or you aren't gonna be trying to turn yourself into someone at them that, that they would want you to be and uh, want to recognize as we always do how very hard this is because i am like so in there with my phone response at the oh, moment doing yeah, the work on it it is not easy yeah <laughs> a regular reminder we're yeah. <laughs> we are experts at talking about this but we're not experts at doing it we struggle yeah. with it all the time this is not easy stuff for us either uh, it's mm. not easy stuff but culture no. tells us that Culture has done a number on all of us, a number yeah. on all of us, and we all find it tricky, including me, me, and, when me these, and Mac John. And when these are our survival strategies as well, when they're the ones that we had to use as kids in order to get through stuff, it's really hard to shift them. And they, w they will kind of morph into other forms sometimes as well. So it's just like being okay with well, that and just naming it when you see it happen. You know, that is, part, again, part of a consensual relationship is like, oops, I realised I've fallen into that dynamic again that I often fall into like let's talk about it let's see if we can reshape this relationship so that we're not falling into those dynamics yeah I mean even if it isn't like a trauma response mm -hmm. uh, necessarily even if you don't recognize it as a trauma response you, if you recognize it as a pattern that you do yeah like we have in our relationship user guide uh, available at our website mcjohnandjustin.com forward slash publications um, then we have a thing in there about uh, patterns, don't mm, we? So there's yeah. like cat and dog and big oh, bear, yeah. little bear, and eagle so and mouse. Those, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We have those like dynamics, don't we? Yeah. So I'm noticing where you are in terms of your dynamic, and no matter where, it, whether it comes from, there's a bigger conversations we had here about trauma. Well, that's that, also that, a spectrum. Yeah, I think but, it's probably yeah, the, the important point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the uh, if, wherever your pattern's coming from, yeah. if you know it's your pattern and that you're reversing to it for whatever reason, then yeah. being able to talk about your pattern and being, a, oh, I've noticed I'm being really, um, I'm freezing here, or I noticed I've gone really small and small mm. teddy bear, like you know, it's like yeah. around this because of this, this, and this, and the other person could be like, okay, or well, I can be big bear for a bit yeah on this and then maybe we for this you could be a bit bigger bear and i could be small like yeah. being able to talk about it in that kind of way exactly um, yeah housing. definitely <laughs> yeah yeah and like yeah some of those some of those patterns it can be about oh i just recognize them we can shift it you know that's fine yeah. other, other times it's like oh well, this is really a big one for me i might need some support you know might that's where you might need therapy or other kinds of support to help change a really entrenched pattern. Um, yeah, also, I'm going to go slightly off topic and also preempt an episode that we should do, which is one about attachment theory. Mm, um, yeah, yeah, attachment like styles, People kind of yeah. think that that's what we're talking about here, but actually what we're talking about here is the, is 
uh, if you name it as like an attachment style and you say that is my attachment style, then that also kind of limits you into yeah. doing... The attachment, like, in and what the, way does that constrict you? And the attachment theorists and the trauma theorists would say it's not like, you know, it's not like, you know, you're a fight and you're a fawn or you're a disorganised attachment yeah. and you're an avoidant. It's like, actually, they play out differently in different relationships. We often deploy different strategies in different situations, so we're not fixed in them. But we might, it no. might be useful to recognise this is more, like, especially under, under stress we all tend to go to this more than we tend to go to that or whatever but yeah. most most of us can do with working on all of them right yeah 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 I think so <laughs> um so i've kind of pre this one yeah like, knowing that it's okay to not uh, in our um in our uh playlist episode that desert island desert island discs episode which a we loved, knockout uh, episode it's about yeah. um <laughs> I talked about the uh, the freedom to fuck off. Yeah. Um, the, so the, at any point, you have to, like with sex, it should always be okay. It should always be okay to just not. Even if you yeah. started having any kind of sex exercise whatsoever, it should always be okay to be like, actually, I'm not feeling this, or I just want to stop, or can we have a break, or can we have a cup of tea? Must or, be. It can't be now. consensual if people can't do that. It really yeah. can't. So they have to know that they're safe enough, and that, you know there won't be any kind of punishment for that. You know that that's yeah. a, that won't get them. You know that the, suddenly the person will go really cold, or suddenly they'll say, "Well, I don't want to hang around with you anymore if you're not going to have this kind of sex with me or any kind of sex with me." So it's like just yeah, like really just this is really goes against the norms because there really is an idea that somehow you owe sex if you're in a certain kind of relationship or if you've had it before with a person and it's like we really need to get away from that but yeah you're saying it's like that applies to the wider relationship if you feel that sense that you have to do something in this relationship or yeah. have to do the relationship as a whole yeah so in terms of relationships and consent there might have to be a bit more of a spectrum around what fucking off means yeah um because the certainly sometimes we can be so dependent on our partners for example if they live with us and we depend on them for money or for care or Mm. for um to exist um then it can be uh then it can be that the power imbalance there means that it can be and also just materially it's very difficult for one person to say okay i'm off then yeah the other person we'll talk about this when we get to power but Mm. there might have to be a well if we can't do this, then maybe could we do this for a bit or, you know, like either a transition period into a different kind of relationship or a different relationship model altogether. There are different relationship models that we can access that are somewhere on another spectrum of monogamy and non-monogamy. But again, what I really, what I really struggle with in this sort of conventional relationship script is kind of this is again this all or nothing. It's stay together or break up, and then it's incredibly dangerous in terms of, um, you know, if people feel like if they end this one bit of the relationship, if they say it's not romantic anymore, we're not having sex anymore, we can't cohabit anymore, that suddenly they're going to lose, you know, like so much, like not just financially, Mm. but they might. I think this is a big problem and you know we know the rates of domestic abuse are really high in lgbt communities and i think part of that reason Mm. is people fear losing their whole community if they end a relationship particularly if they have to say you know this was a a really damaging relationship for them um Mm. you know so could that conversation be again be in early in the relationship is how do we make sure that people feel that it's possible mm. to end or change various aspects mm. of this without having to lose everything or without being punished for it. 
um, you know, how can we make that safe enough for people that it really feels that that possible to do that? Not that that's going to necessarily be easy, not that there won't be loss and sadness and difficult feelings, mm. but that that's built in that, you know, just because this aspect's going to work, you know, and it could be that some aspects get way better over time and other aspects, mm. you know, don't. And especially with sex, we know like that's just the norm is that sex will, you know, go over time or be much less over time and that's just okay mm. you know so uh, this expectation that everything stays the same or, or escalates or always gets better and better and better is dangerous for consent yeah yeah and don't, uh, i don't think we've done like an actual breakup episode we've done a breaking up the band episode yeah but I think there are definitely consensual ways to do breakups and mm. i think that um being able to learn from how we do big conversations in our relationships previously and learning about what we've learned about consent from someone, mm. uh, from you know how we do like how we do consent in our relationships can inform how we do consent breaking up our relationships or shifting our relationship to a different place. And so mm. in in if the relationship is safe enough to be able to do that, then it, it you can have consensual, actually quite affirming breakups. I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, but also, having having said all of that, it's also okay just to, you know, have your escape plan and you know have your important things in a in a bag, your mm. passport, birth certificate, bank cards, whatever, and have la- an escape route if you need it. If it's if a relationship has got to a place of, um, I know we've already mm. we're, we're looking at more affirmative models, but we, I guess we should just say you know having yeah. your escape plan is also important if it's got to a point where consent is no longer possible. And that, like, to be honest, I'd say if the only consent available is yeah. personal consent, then then you have to default to that. And that really, really, if you're kind of thinking about it, it probably means that's where it's at. I would say because people tend to downplay this stuff rather than upplay it. But um, yeah, yeah, like. I guess all of this list is, is is hoping that people are on the same page, you know, and this is stuff you can do yeah. to kind of consent proof your relationship in a way. It's like if this is on the table, uh, you know, then you're not putting yourself in that dangerous situation where, you know, the whole relationship is contingent on all these, these things staying the same and nothing can change. Mm. Um, and, you know, like, yeah, maybe there are these options as well for slowing down or break taking a break on various aspects. So, again, it's not this all or nothing. Um, it's mm-hmm. like, we yeah we might be um you know sort of like okay the cohabiting means we're really hitting up against each other is there an option to live separately for a little while and see how that goes or um Mm -hmm. you know can can we pause on sex for a while because that seems Mm. to be the problematic territory or can we can we separate our finances because that just doesn't seem to work but you know continue the bits that are working right yeah 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 so informed consent. So mm. that is really important uh, for sex. Actually, I think for like uh, what I'll term vanilla sex, I think there is less of an idea of informed consent just because people often follow a script for what yeah. you should do when you have vanilla sex. Um, informed consent is a term that's often, uh, well, it's a very important term in kink uh, BDSM yeah. communities so uh, about some- exactly what it is that we're going to do before we do it and how we check in and mm-hmm. what happens before, during and after. And sadly, it doesn't always happen there. So again, the sort of messy no. moments that happened in kid- kink were a lot about people having one set of like, this is what we've agreed to, and then mm-hmm. doing a whole whole different things. Um, but yeah, uh, it, people abusing their power. Uh, yeah, a lot of it, a lot of it everywhere. Um, because we live in a really non-consensual um, mm-hmm. whole culture. Anyway, yes. Mm-hmm. So what you'd want is that sense of like, 
okay, when we say we're going to have sex with each other, this is what we both mean by that. Um, we've got that information we've agreed to. Of course, that still means that we can change as we go on. There's still ongoing mm-hmm. consent, but there is this informed upfront. And I think where this mm-hmm. plays out with romantic relationships is, again, we have this idea... I think that what we should be doing in a romantic relationship is presenting this best side of us so that the person mm. will want us and we'll get them. And then they're going to gradually over time learn like the less pretty sides of ourselves. Um, and, you know, yeah. they, you know, dating apps and things really potentially really play into this. So it's like, and it's mm-hmm. again, this is not easy, but, you know, rather than that sense of what, of what we should be doing is covering over the things we're ashamed of and then laying ourselves open to some point those were being revealed and that being terrifying for us and potentially for the other person is like, can we be really upfront about, you know, this is where I am in life you know, these are the things that I can do well with, these are the things I struggle with. So it's not that somebody's getting information too late in the day after they've already, like, signed up for something or feel like they have. There's another yeah. there's another podcast episode here as well because mm-hmm. also there is such a thing as, like, giving too much information, I think, as yeah. well. It's about <laughs> yeah. the right information yeah. at the right time. Exactly, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, and there's, yeah, a, there's all kind uh, of complexities about what people should have to reveal about themselves and what they shouldn't, you know. So it's also, it's not about saying you have to tell everything about yourself. But yeah, it's I guess, again, like if we have this model where we can really tune into ourselves, we can start to trust this sense in ourselves, actually, of like, what's, you know, what am I not saying here? That's because, you know, I'm trying to hide something or what am I not saying because it just isn't yep. the right time. And we can start to trust that sense of consent. Um, yeah, I think that's really important. I think there's a difference between honesty and telling everyone everything yeah. all the time. Yeah, exactly. Um, because so honesty and honesty ourselves is like a slowly revealing thing and it's a mm. moment by moment thing. So if there is a moment where we know it's going to be valuable for the other person to know a thing about us, that's mm. the thing, where that's the time we tell them. And that thing... The idea that everything looks that we present ourselves as, you know, great and perfect and not in need of, you know, not having been through any trauma or any difficult mm-hmm. relationships or, you know, completely, you know, we're completely fine is completely dishonest. Yeah. But it's also, um, uh, it's also not great to tell everyone everything or to tell everyone that you're yeah. an entire mess and that you need them <laughs> as if as if you want them to kind of like fix you oh it's god like, absolutely it's the revealing things when they become well, it's what's when they become so when to you when you, when you it, i think finance would be a really good example right it's like when you get to that yeah. point where it looks like you might be kind of financially enmeshing in some way it's like a mm-hmm. fair while before that saying to someone actually i have got a lot of debt and it is really fine yeah. not to get financial or actually finance is an area I really struggle with. And if mm-hmm. we enmesh in this way, it's likely to play out. And this is how, mm-hmm. you know, that would be. And and I suppose like you could just you could just take that and think for all the different aspects of a relationship, uh, what other pieces where I know that bit could be hard for somebody and I'm gonna like yeah. upfront that before we even get there. Um, rather than rather but, than having to go into it and then it playing out and then the other person having to say hey this doesn't feel okay yeah yeah we've got into another podcast episode here that's like, st- stick that on the list yeah totally <laughs> <laughs> honesty yeah um, oh we've done so, the de- default script a bit haven't we yeah well a little bit yeah we yeah. just talked about you know the default script is that the line go up yeah um and uh that that basically that we're on an escalator and we 
like with sex that you start off with snogging and then it's so the, the base is idea of sex that we snog at first base we touch each other over our clothes at third, <laughs> the second base third base is like genital stuff but I, love not, you, I love you trying to remember the bases <laughs> yeah, I think I'm so. trying to make it up whatever but yeah also everyone has a different idea about what's on each base which is why the cultural script but the standard yeah the standard cultural script goes like foreplay and then proper sex yeah. and then orgasm and we, we've questioned that a lot on this podcast but Let if you have that, I'm at third yeah. base oh sorry I'm third base like, I'm, I'm well, waving in for fourth base. Fourth base is penetrative sex, isn't it? Yeah. Fully naked, fully penetrative sex with whatever you have, whatever genitals you have and mm. implements around you, it has to be penetrative. Yeah. That's fourth base. And That's the home what. run is the orgasm, I guess, at the end of it. Somehow... Oh, don't, in, don't include a random factor that we're going to have to talk about now for 20 minutes. I've never... <laughs> 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 no, a home run is when you just go around all the bases in one go, in one night. Okay, right. Or, yeah, no, I hear that. I hear that aim, yeah. I'm not as good on baseball. Yeah. <laughs> just, I'll leave the sports to you. Right. Or rounders. <laughs> yeah, rounders. It's the same. Round, rounders is kind of baseball. Right. Oh. <laughs> oh, no, I'm not going to get really. I'm really tempted to talk about this, but I'm not because we're, we're comparing. Yeah, consensual sex with. Also, oh, the relationship so escalator is like dating, moving in with each other, getting married, having kids, etc. Something like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And collecting so, mid-century teacups together. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. that kind of thing. So it's like <laughs> yeah, exactly that kind of very yeah. specific thing that I did. Once. <laughs> So the, <laughs> so the default script, which says, yeah, you need to go through each of these bases and it's only successful if you do, is really damaging yeah. for consent. It's very hard to be consenting yeah. when you have any kind of default yeah. script of this is the right way to do it, which is, you know, again, why I guess marriage ceremonies are a particularly useful thing to deconstruct and question because they set up certain default scripts. Um well, potentially, it's a real, potentially. It, it really does a number on us because the default mm. script isn't just in films. It's mm. also just retold and retold and retold and retold. Like everyone, mm. like a lot of people have had parents who have these very specific expectations about what their romantic relationships will look like. Yeah. Right? You know, either I want you to have grandchildren or I want you, or I want you to buy a house or mm. um, you can't live too far away from me or, yeah. you know, like, but there's, you know, but the, that's those normativities are, mm. uh, are constantly being retold to us and any kind of script makes it hard for us to do us because if yeah. we're constantly fighting a, a should script yeah and then even if we do the opposite of the should script we're still following a, a cultural script of either following it or rebelling against it yeah and so the should script does a number on us so we need to be before we do anything even if we move in somewhere we need to be having these really big conversations right. about okay how are we going to do this and for sex um you and i always think well it's about like can we put all the options on the table here's all the things we might do t together which are erotic or mm -hmm. sensual or sexual and all of them are equally yeah. valid and so same thing for relationship and i would say as well Go, linking this to power i think the onus should be on the person who is more normative to make sure that the person who might be less normative in what they want really has the freedom and the safety to articulate how they'd like to do things 
you know that it that it's kind of like there's that real mindfulness of that it's probably going to be harder for somebody who has the the more the less normative sexual desires or the less normative way of relating to really be able to hold that in the face of those very powerful should scripts so you know thinking about your location into how how normative your preferences are relationship wise and what can you do to really maximize the freedom and agency that the and sense of safety that other person has to say how they'd like to do things and to have that really respected and again you know not necessarily that you're going to have this kind of relationship or that kind of relationship the question would be like mm-hmm. what kind of relationship can we have that would encompass mm-hmm. yeah you wanting this and me wanting that in this area so just a quick example mm. of this is that you could literally like a, an activity for your dear listener if you're in a romantic relationship is that you could write down every possible relationship thing you can do like mm. every activity you can do small or big and that you could have i use like when i do this activity or a similar activity i use like small like post-it notes or memo pads mm. and have a floor covered with like a hundred things of different things that you can do either like moving in together having kids having date nights going to the cinema sharing friends Mm. anything you can possibly think of that you might do in a romantic relationship Mm. and then you could be and then you go around and you look at the ones that you're definitely into and you can give each one a mark out of 10 for like plus 10 i'm very in favor of this zero i'm neutral minus 10 i'm very much not in favor of this Mm. and you cluster together things that where you there is a sense that there is a a maybe or a yes for them and then you put them all out and then once you've done that, then you can start to consider, okay, well, which one of these are normative and which mm. one, which are the ones that we, sh- we should be doing and how does that place us in this? Mm. And then figuring out way, how you handle that as a secondary process from that, I think is like, a, could be a very useful exercise. And given that these are in, incredibly, potentially life-changing decisions, some of these yeah. things, then while pe- the, the fact that people aren't talking about this just really demonstrates Mm. how shit we are at consent in relationships yeah yeah right yeah great uh next um yeah are we going long how long have we been (laughs) so long i'm so sorry or like sorry not sorry yeah (laughs) it's such an important one i mean we've kind of talked about ongoing consent not a one-off you know and it is really it is really hard because there can be just that sense of like because we've done things this way it's a loss or it's a bad thing if we're changing it but the more we can question that the more we can assume that the individuals are going to change over time the relationship's going to go change over time things out there like the pandemic are going to change over time so you know we have to keep checking it and like having a regular sense of like where are we at and what works for everybody rather than it being just this one off and then we assume that it will be that unless something changes if every mm. time you've had sex and you have a penis you've always received a blowjob and it's always exactly the same kind of blowjob and it felt nice for the first few times and then you want it to change but then you got stuck into having a blowjob all the time it's very difficult to say yeah. okay could we change this maybe and do something else but the important thing for the other person is to be like would you actually like a blowjob this time and so what we yeah. say with sex in our sex advice book is treat every time like it's the first time mm-hmm. rather than making any assumptions have you created your own cultural your own script for what it is that you're supposed to do and in what way is that locking mm. the other person into doing things they may or may not want to do yeah. same goes for relationships and sex yeah exactly and just great to flag it Fla- great to flag it if you notice something shifting like oh we used to do this mm-hmm. and now we don't like shall we have a check in about how that's feeling you know just just great for it I to be the ongoing I noticed on every 
every Monday night we have takeaway curry from M&S. I'm just noticing, is this like a nice tradition that we've got yeah. into that gives us a nice sense of a ritual? Or is this something that yeah. we're just doing because we're, we are, we've written our script for ourselves as this is what we're meant to be doing now? Yeah, exactly. Again, I may or may not have been there with my mid-century teacups being mindful of power imbalances we've touched on this all the way through but yeah like obviously the thing that really constrains consent is where there's power imbalances so one person's got more power than another um, makes it really hard for the person with less power in that situation to feel free enough and safe enough to be open about what they need and where their boundaries are so trying to be mindful of those and really stating it i had a real yeah i had a really good one with a friend actually quite recently where we went through like thinking about power in our particular dynamic and where where those we, we started with vulnerabilities as well like where did we feel sort of potentially vulnerable in this dynamic and that helped us to think about the different threads of power weaving through it um not everybody wants to relationship geek to that extent of course but definitely having some kind of awareness of um yeah where you have power um, and where you don't and mm-hmm. like I like that example I suppose with the, the normativity like if your preference for the relationship is the more normative one what can you do to make it really possible for the other person mm-hmm. to state where they're at with you know having kids or cohabiting or getting married or not and making sure that you're making space for them to say something different to what your preference is well that's right and if you have more power then it's on then if you have more power you have more agency and if you have more agency then it's on you to bring more consent work. Mm, mm-hmm. so it's on you to be given options so one basic thing is if ever if ever you're offering to do something or inviting someone to do something give three options yeah just give at least three options really nice uh, not just two not not just do i want this or do you not want this or i'm doing this so you mm. can choose to do it or not do it that's not consent you're going to maximise consent by giving uh, enough freedom uh, to choose as possible. And yeah. if you've got more power, you've got more urgency, it's on you. Yeah. I, I guess a good one on the next point where this plays out is solitude. You know, there's often the idea that, in a sense, the person who wants to spend most time together in a relationship, in a way, has more mm. power because that's the default script is that you should want to spend as much time together as possible. So that's a really good person to think about. OK, you know, I'd be happy to spend every minute of every day together, but the other person clearly mm-hmm. needs solitude. How do I make sure that they really feel able to take the solitude they want rather than defaulting to, to mine, mm. which is the kind of more powerful position here um and i I just flagged up solitude and other relationships as being really important when we get Mm -hmm. we're getting to this last point about you know how do we how do we support our relationships to be as consensual as possible we can't we can't do it alone like in the relationship we need strict Mm -hmm. systems and structures of support um so what we always say about you know as an individual we can't be doing stuff we need systems and structures to support it and so if we want to do consensual relationships how can we make sure we've got enough time alone to be really feeling into you know to be be familiar with our feelings and to know when something doesn't feel right whether it's we're doing something that doesn't feel right or the other person is and also how how can we make sure we've got other supportive relationships that really can we can be really open with them so they can say you know oh yeah that that feels like you're you know knocking out the park with consent or here's an area where I'm a bit like you know how come you how come you're doing that because I thought you always said you didn't want to do that that sort of thing yeah 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 being able to just check in but also like 
being able to talk about our romantic relationships with, with other relationships in a way that feels supportive and affirmative rather than being made to feel like you're sometime, somehow like grassing up the other relationship. Yeah, or, um, yeah. Being in some way disloyal. It's mm. not. It's like no. we all need other people all the time and we all um, will need to... I think one of the things that I've written about at Bish is that we need to that we need that having other relationships helps us to tune into how all our other relationships are doing because mm. we can put ourselves in a position of well if I'm being put down by my partner all the time how would I feel about my best friend doing that yeah. I wouldn't feel okay about that so that means that this, this I need to think about whether this is okay or not and you know so mm. the more we're all learning about how to do consensual relationships from having consensual relationships so uh, by noticing where there is a relationship with more consent then we can learn from that to bring it in more mm. with with other ones and that's the because we learn learning about relationships is a lifetime's journey right so mm. we're not born that you know and we have to undo a lot of the stuff that we've learned that is unhelpful so um yeah yeah brilliant so yeah i think and and again like that would be great if we could have that more open conversation about you know how do we make sure that our friendship network is supporting us as well as possible to have consensual relationships and then when we get to that point of also questioning why romantic relationships are given so much importance it could be much more like even potentially of like okay these are the 10 really important key relationships in my life. Mm. How are all of them supporting the other ones, you know, and mm -hmm. like, yeah, making sure yeah. that that's, that's happening um, mm. for us, you know, in, in helpful ways. And again, this, this is gets onto this kind of idea of like, what if there's something not, not great um, that this transformative justice and accountability type work is, is going towards. Cause it's all about holding the people in that relationship of whatever kind mm. Um, through a process of being able to address mm -hmm. okay this isn't working well and it's it, mm. it takes a lot of time um you know it's a, it's a really big thing to support people through i've done this you know with one set of people where a consent violation mm -hmm. happened and really held them through a long-term process you know until they were ready to have that conversation and, and how to have the conversation mm. and really hearing each other and it can be a beautiful thing and the more we mm. get used to doing it and the more we assume there will be micro moments where we can do that kind of rupture and repair, just the two of us. And there will also be bigger moments where a bigger thing has come up and it probably needs to be mm -hmm. held by others. And we need, you know, um, support around it. Again, brilliant. Mm -hmm. Like the more we can do that and the more we can have those conversations yep. before we before it comes to a, a point of there is a crisis, the better. Mm. Yeah big time and mm. that just that last that last thing is the mm. is we, we, having that windows open idea that you've got in here means that we mm. have that we the binary of like public and private yeah is something that i think is very helpful you know like to the, the romantic relationships were encouraged we're encouraged to keep some things private and yeah. to not share them and it's like and again mm. that is um it's another way of culture doing a number on us that mm -hmm. doesn't support our relationships yeah and i think social media really encourages that like here's the curated version of our relationship oh, that we're gonna like show out to public and then here's what's going on to, underneath it and it's it's just not helpful that that the vision of the public and private that doesn't mean like you know live your whole relationship like in the public and show everybody everything all the time because that wouldn't be safe enough in our current culture but like definitely having that sense of who's our community of support and you know the things that would the things that would worry me is if like 
anyone in anyone in any relationship wasn't prepared to do some kind of work on the stuff that they struggle with relationally that that mm. leads them to being non-consensual in some way and or if somebody didn't have any kind of support network and they weren't going to other people at all you know like I think mm. and, and that's not to say it's easy we have a whole podcast on making friends you know so it's like if you don't have a system support that's not to shame you but it is something really worth thinking about like who is my support system because I think mm. it's really I think it's really vital to have one yeah. oh yeah I mean putting everything into one relationship mm. as well yeah um, is given everything that we have like you, you need other structures to help pull you out of relationships as much as help as much as put you in them it's the mm. uh, it's the yeah don't worry, I'll go off on another rant <laughs> <laughs> we've got, come up with about five more podcasts during this podcast and this podcast was a long one but uh, I think that got yeah. us to the end of that I'll put some uh, further resources as well um, of other stuff that we've written about this stuff on our on the show notes for this one Mm-hmm. We have other lots of other podcasts that are relevant to this, but mm. this is like a useful, like hopefully, like a useful kind of like bring it all together, uh, bringing it all together for this particular topic: consent in romantic relationships. Mm-hmm. And we're going to start talking now, aren't we? Should we do the the traditional closing? What here's goodbyes? how to? Oh, okay. Well, you can follow oh, us. job. Oh, the, yeah, we forgot the blowjob tips. Oh, well, I think we've gone on too long. I think we'd better leave it off this time. Oh, we'll, yeah, do, we'll, do it, we'll do it We'll do it next time. Oh, maybe, yeah, maybe we'll do it next week. Yeah, we'll keep forgetting. How, consens- um, how consensual is this with our ear pals, though, really? They know. It's, an, it's one of our interests. Yeah. Um, so, um, again, so if you've liked this, uh, you might like our uh, zine make your own relationship user guide £2.50 it's like a worksheet that you can fill in with your partner or the person you're in a relationship with it's not just for romantic yeah. relationships um, and it helps you to have a lot of these kinds of conversations and a lot of people have uh, bought it and found it really useful and have told us and that's really nice it's one of those ones where you print it out and you get mm. your pencil and you just you know you fill it in and you have a nice rubber and doodle mm. on it and you kind of create your yeah. own thing um uh, that's at our website megjohnandjustin.com uh, where you can find all of our free mm-hmm. episodes and awesome blogs that uh, Meg John writes um, we also have the Patreon patreon.com forward slash megjohnandjustin if you want all of our episodes so if you want um, uh, and if you want an episode pretty much every week then you need to sign up to Patreon where you get one and then the next mm-hmm. week will be a free one over here and social media we're pretty much only on twitter at meg john justin i'm getting increasingly not into social media uh but if you follow the twitter yeah if you follow the twitter i try and put up tweets to remind people of old episodes that they might want to listen to and stuff like that so it's uh, it's worth a follow yeah yeah and I use it there to flag up when I publish yeah. a new episode, mm-hmm. so it might be worth a follow if you want to. I also do sometimes put them on Instagram and sometimes on our Facebook, but mm-hmm. mostly Twitter. Yeah. Anyway, let's do it. We go. Thank you for listening. Bye. All right then. Bye. 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 <laughs>